Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are continuing our series uh, called the High Priestly Prayer, and this is, uh, we're just taking Jesus' prayer from John chapter 17 and walking through that together. And this is concluding what a lot of people call the farewell discourse of Jesus, uh, which is John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. It is following the Last Supper. Uh, Judas has left, and the 11 disciples are, are remaining there, and he's talking to the 11 disciples, and this is preceding his crucifixion. And this is kind of like Jesus' farewell address. It's his final shots. This is basically his last words to his disciples before he endures the cross. Uh, this is Jesus' longest recorded prayer in the Gospels. Uh, and what we see are a couple key themes that leap out to us. The first is God's glory. And we spent a lot of time last week talking about the glory of God. And the second theme we see is the unity of the church. And we'll talk about that briefly today, and we'll spend more time on that next week. Uh, but these two themes are the predominant themes of Jesus's prayer to God for us. Um, so we're going to pick up in John chapter 17, verse 6 today. And it says this, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Um, Jesus says here, to conclude this, this verse, he says, they have kept your word. Now when we use this phrase, keep your word today, uh, we, we talk about it in terms of doing what you say you will do. Well, they kept their word. They said they'd be here at this time, and they were here at that time. They kept their word. Um, and it looks a little different in the context of Scripture. Now, there's some similar connotations, but what it's really getting at is uh, Jesus says that they kept your word. He's talking about the words that God has spoken. He's talking about the written word of God. Uh, and he's talking about his disciples. So he says, your disciples, my followers, your children have kept your word. Now, the word kept here in the Greek is tereo, and it means to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard, to observe. And so really what Jesus is saying is that they have guarded your word. They have guarded what they've received from you. Now, this is what I would tell you. Many people are good at receiving the word of God, but they're bad at guarding the word of God. Um, you can come into a setting like this one, and you can hear a message preached, and undoubtedly there will be some people after church today that will say, that was a good word, pastor. What are they saying? I received something that was good from you today. Now the test of a word isn't if it makes you feel good right now, but if it's applied to your life later. That's the test. So what Jesus was saying is, hey, these people that I'm praying for, my disciples, your children, God, they have kept your word. They have guarded your word. They've protected your word. Uh, they haven't allowed it to escape them. Because too many times we're impacted emotionally by a message or by something we hear or experience in a setting like this, and we go, man, I feel great, and this is wonderful, and we leave here. And I was talking to somebody before our service today. You'll leave here today, and maybe you'll get to the parking lot, and you've got a flat tire, and that word disappears from your memory. 
it evaporates, or you're pulling out of the parking lot, and, and you know, as you're trying to get out, somebody doesn't let you in, and you get a little frustrated. Not that we would ever get frustrated with another person that goes to our church, but we get a little frustrated with that person, and all of a sudden, that word disappears from us. We forget it in a moment, and what's happened is we received a word, but we forgot. We released. We didn't guard the word, and so what Jesus says is, hey, these people have kept your word. They've, they've guarded it. They've protected it. There's a passage in uh, Revelation chapter 2. God is speaking through John to the church at Ephesus. And we've talked about the church at Ephesus in some length in the past. Um, And it's a church that Paul loved. Paul started the church and Paul loved the church at Ephesus. Uh, And and God is speaking to the church at Ephesus. And he says in Revelation 2:2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear those who are evil, and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know uh, you are enduringly, are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now, this is, let me stop there. So th- God is saying to the church, hey, you're doing some stuff really, really well. You don't put up with people who are evil. You, you don't abide with false prophets or false apostles. You, you do the stuff you're supposed to do, and you love hearing that. And then in verse 4, God says, but, and you don't go, oh, no, all right? Like, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And this word first here, uh, the Greek is protos, and protos means first in time or place, so it could be first in chronology or first in, in arrival, uh, but it also means first in rank, so it can mean chief or principal. And so what, what God is saying to the church is, hey, the love you had for me, the, 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 the love you experienced for me, the print, that when I was your principal affection, when I was your primary affection, you have, you have abandoned that, you have walked away from that. You haven't guarded that love. You haven't kept that love. And the truth is, in any relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a relationship with God, we can drift over time. There's a shift in our relationship if there's no maintenance, if there's no action or energy giving, given to that relationship. Uh, when we moved here from Oklahoma five years ago, I, I've got friends that I'm still friends with, but our relationship looks different because now there's a thousand miles in between us and there's an 18-hour drive and, and it's, we don't see each other every day. And as a result, our relationship looks different than it did by nature of moving halfway across the country. And I would tell you the same thing is true in your relationships. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. If we don't apply force or energy to our relationship, begin to shift over time. Do I need to go back and say what I just said so you could hear it again? So what we have to do is we have to guard and protect that relationship so that it doesn't shift to a place that's dangerous. If you're, have you ever been driving in your car, you're driving down the highway, and, uh, and you take your hand off the wheel for just a moment, and the car begins to go one direction? That's a sign that your car is out of alignment. The wheels are out of alignment, right? So what do you do? You take it into a shop, a tire place, and they're going to realign your wheels so that if you take your hands on the wheel, there's no drift. And the worse the alignment is, the more you have to work to keep your car on the road. And I'm telling you, the more we are out of alignment with God's purposes for our life, the more energy it takes to stay on the road and on the path he's got for us. Because there's drift over time if we don't keep and guard the word that he gives us. See, we don't lose our affection for Christ because of what he does. 
We blame him for things, but we don't lose our affection for Christ because of what he does. We lose our affection for Christ because of what we fail to do. We fail to guard our hearts. We fail to guard the word that he's given us. We fail to, to keep the word of God in our hearts. So my challenge to you is, as we move on is, is ask yourself, how do I keep the word of God? How do I keep what he has spoken to me? How do I guard that? How do I protect that? Verse seven says this, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you have sent me. So what Jesus says as we start off, I love this. He says, uh, everything that you have given me is from you. And he even says, the words you gave me, I gave to them. Uh, and so what he's acknowledging here is nothing I have came from you. Uh, nothing I have is my own, it came from you, is what he's saying. And this is, uh, this is, if I can say it this way, stewardship. And some of you are like, oh great, leave it to the pastor to turn every message into a giving message, right? And that's not what this is about. But this is what Jesus acknowledges. Everything I have came from you. I don't have anything except what you have given me. Uh, and, and Jesus was not talking about money, he was talking about his life. And this is what true stewardship is, is acknowledging that everything in my life ultimately came from God, that it is not mine. Because we all know people that'll say things like, I'm a self-made man. I've earned everything I've got in this life. I've worked hard and, you know, it's my work ethic, it's my talent, it's my ability. And what I would gently, uh, how I would gently rebuke that person is to say, well, who gave you that talent and that ability? And who gave you the ability to do this? That's a gift from God. So everything we have is God's. Um, the talent, the ability, the families, the relationships, the church, uh, the, the, the finances, the, the possessions, everything is God's. And what Jesus acknowledges here is everything is yours, God. Everything belongs to you. You've simply loaned it to me. John 17, 4, in the Passion Translation, we read this last week, Jesus says, I've glorified you on earth by faithfully doing everything you've told me to do. And what we see here is it ties into this last verse where he says, and they have believed that you have sent me. He says, I've spoken truth to them. I've spoken your word to them. The word you gave me, I've spoken to them. And they have believed that you have sent me. So what he's saying is, I've, I've accomplished your purpose. Everything you've called me to do, I've done. I've proclaimed your name on earth. Your name has made, been made famous. So he's faithfully doing everything that God's called him to do. Verse nine says this, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I want you to hear this today. Did you know that Jesus is actively praying for you? And you've got people that pray for you in your life, I'm sure. You might not realize you do, but you do. Um, I'm thankful, my, mom, uh, my dad's mom, um, I called her Granny. Granny was what you would imagine as a granny. And uh, uh, man, wonderful woman of God, I loved her dearly. And I know my granny prayed for me. I know my parents pray for me. Um, there are people in our church and people on our staff that they will actively tell me, you know, hey, Pastor, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And there's something about hearing that that just encourages you, that blesses you, that helps you understand, hey, I'm not in this alone. And the thing that I love about this is John 17 is a prayer for you from Jesus, that Jesus is actively praying for you. Now what we see is uh, he prayed for you, 
in John 17, but what we see throughout Scripture is that he continues to intercede for us. So we see it several times in the New Testament that God um, is, is flanked by Jesus who is interceding. He's making intercession on our behalf. Now, if you've never thought about this before, um, one of the things that might be a little bit challenging is you, you might think, why does Jesus have to continue to intercede for us? Is his work incomplete? So maybe what he did isn't enough, and now he's got to finish the work. He's got to go, oh yeah, I forgot, God, you need to do this. And oh my goodness, I, hey, I need you to do that for them too. And oh, I didn't see this coming, and that's not how it works. And this is what I want you to understand. Um, Jesus continues to intercede for us in heaven, not because his work is incomplete, but because his care for his followers never ends. Jesus never stops loving you. He never stops caring about you. He never stops thinking about you. Even though he's in heaven, at the right hand of the Father, he continues to intercede for us because his care, there's no expiration. There is no end date on his care for you. So it's not that he cared for you enough just to lay down his life for you and now he's done. No, he continues to intercede for us because he cares for us that deeply. Verse 9 it's interesting, and I don't know if you caught this. He says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, this has to beg a question. If you just read this at face value, you go, well, does Jesus not care about the world? <laughs> and if you've been around some, long enough, you know we care about the world. We do lots of things to reach our world, to, to tell people that there's a God that loves them desperately and passionately. Um, and so we spend lots of money, do lots of um, activities, lots of effort, lots of energy expended on reaching the world. And so when you look at this verse, you go, well, wait a second, something doesn't make sense. Does Jesus care about the world? And the answer is absolutely yes. He cares about the world. So why would he include this in his prayer that he says, I'm not praying for the world, but I'm praying for my followers, my disciples? And I would say this, Jesus didn't pray for the world and its people to change. Rather, he prayed for his believers or for believers that he empowers to change the world and its people. So I want you to hear this. Jesus doesn't say, God, I pray that you change all this junk in this world, all the things that are hard to deal with, all the, all the people that their hearts are hard. Change them. That's not what he said. Did you hear how he's praying? We're going to see this more as we go on in this. But what he prays is, hey, I want to pray for for your followers, your children, the, the people that you have given me, my disciples. I'm praying for them. Why is he doing that? Because he understands if I'm praying for them, I don't need to pray for the world because they are the answer to the problem of the world. They are the solution to this equation. <clears throat> I don't need to pray that God's going to fix everything because we are the solution to God fixing everything. His believers, his children, you and I in this world are the solution. See, the implication here is that the key to reaching the world is the life, maturity, unity, and love of his followers. That if, if the church would act like the church, we would solve a lot of the problems and ills in our society. Amen. He's really excited. Nobody else is. <laughs> we, we talk about, a lot about things like racism. Wow, racism needs to come to an end. And do you know what would help racism come to an end? If the children of God would manifest the glory of God in the world. If we would do that, if all the people who say they're Christians in the United States would act like Christians in the United States, racism would be snuffed out. 
We talk about the, the ills of poverty. Do you know what would happen if the people of God, the children of God, would start manifesting the glory of God in the world we live in today? Do you know what happened to poverty? Snuffed out. Do you know what happened between racial divides and, and um, ethnic divides and um, uh, political divides? What, what, do you know what would happen if the people of God would act like the people of God? It would disappear. See, what Jesus is saying is um, that the children of God are the answers to the, the prayers that I'm praying. So he doesn't have to pray for the world. He's praying for us to respond and to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus. We pray that God would fix elections and cultural wars and politics and all that junk. But at the end of the day, the answer to that prayer is us. Um, in verse 10, if you read it from the Passion Translation, he says, and I am glorified in them. In the Passion Translation, though, it says, and my glory is revealed through their surrendered lives. Jesus says, my glory is revealed through humanity, through my followers, when their lives are fully surrendered to me. See, one of the problems is uh, we don't fully surrender our lives to God. And as a result, his glory is diminished through us. It is not reflected accurately. And as a result, the problems of the world are never dealt with because we're too busy keeping portions of our lives for ourselves. Um, we say, God, you can be glorified through this area of my life, but not this area of my life. God, you can have this, but not that. God, you can, you can deal with this situation, but I'm hanging on to this and this and this. These are all mine. And what we see here is Jesus says, I am most glorified in people who are most surrendered to me. So what we need to do is we need to stop praying for our world and start praying that the glory of God would be revealed through people whose lives are surrendered. Because God wants to work through you and me. He wants to work through surrendered lives. But too many times he can't. He wants to fix the problems in our culture, in our society, in our world, but he can't because his children won't fully surrender their lives. Verse 11 says this, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am uh, coming to you. So he's saying, hey, I'm leaving, they're staying, and I'm coming to you, Father. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, so guard them, protect them, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. So he's saying, guard them in this world, because I'm not going to be here to guard them any longer. And what we see here is this prayer where he says um, that they may be one even as we are one. That your children, that the disciples of Christ, the followers of Christ would be one. They would be unified in the same way that God and Christ are unified. Um, have you ever been to a um, sixth grade band concert before? I have. They're painful. I love my daughters, um, but man, sixth grade band concerts are the worst. And one of, our, one of our music teachers in the church actually corrected me and said, have you ever been to an elementary orchestra? <laughs> Even worse. And I'm like, okay, touche. I've never been to one, but I get it. Um, and here's the thing. They're all playing the same song, and it's supposed to be working together, but because of their immaturity and their lack of experience, they have a hard time even getting their portion of the song right. 
Does that make sense? As a result, it's, it's painful. It's hard to listen to. Um, and the older they get, the better they get. Have you ever heard um, the, the London Symphony Orchestra before? And if you've ever watched movies, you've probably heard the London Symphony Orchestra. They did the soundtracks for Star Wars and for Jaws and for all kinds of iconic movies. And you hear the music, and it's beautiful, isn't it? It's lovely. What, what's the difference between the London Symphony Orchestra and the sixth grade band at Indiana Junior High? Well, the difference is maturity. They've developed their craft. They've honed their gifting. And they understand what the music is supposed to sound like. And they play their part. They're not all playing the same notes, but they're playing their part to create one beautiful whole. And this is what I want you to understand. In the body of Christ, when we talk about unity, sometimes we think about turning off our brains and we're just robots and now we got to think whatever the pastor thinks and we've got to come into line and politics and all those kind of things. And I'm telling you today, uh, God is not interested in that. Jesus doesn't desire for us to forfeit our individuality, but his desire is that God would get all the glory that belongs to him. That's his desire. And this singular purpose is what should unite unique people. So as we come in here to, together today as Republicans and Democrats and independents, as we come in here today as, as people uh, of different ethnicities, uh, the, what we should be able to do is say there's lots of differences, but what we are committed to do is playing our part so that we can create one beautiful whole. We're going to be mature enough that we're, we understand where we're going and what we need to do, and I'm going to play my part in such a way that we can create a beautiful whole so that God can be glorified. So I'm going to lay some stuff down. I'm not going to worry about things that are secondary because we have a primary purpose of seeing God glorified in the world. And this is what Jesus is talking about. He wants to see unity in the body. So we all play different parts, but we all complete one work together. And this is what Jesus desires for us. This is what unity is. We'll talk more about this next week. John chapter 17, verse 12 says this. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one has been lost except the son of destruction. And some of your versions might say the son of perdition. This is talking about Judas. And that the scripture might be fulfilled. So he's saying, I've guarded them. I've protected them. I've kept them while I was on earth. Um, but, but now I'm going away, so you keep them. Verse 13 says, but now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my glory fulfilled in themselves. And we've talked a lot about joy in the past. Um, and this is the thing, when he says that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves, um, I, I just want you to know, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter how successful you are, no matter who you're married to or who you're dating, none of those things matter. At the end of the day, the only thing uh, that, is, that will determine your true level of joy is a relationship with Christ. That's it. So your, your job might bring you a, a semblance of joy at some point, but that is circumstantial joy. The joy that the Lord brings, it supersedes our circumstances. It, it, it's bigger than our circumstances. So have you ever met somebody or you're talking to somebody and they're going through a horrible experience in their lives and you're, you're thinking to yourself, how are they walking through this like they're walking through this? How are they not crushed by what they've just experienced? And I would tell you, and I'm guessing, but the answer is probably that they have the joy of the Lord at work in their hearts. Uh, the joy that Jesus is talking about has been completed in them. His joy is being worked out in them. And so they can go through a job loss or the loss of a loved one or a divorce 
and, and they can be sad, but it doesn't destroy them because the joy of the Lord is at work in their hearts and it supersedes our circumstances. See, happiness is circumstantial. I got the raise, I'm happy. I didn't get the raise, I'm sad. Um, my relationship is good, I'm happy. My relationship is bad, I'm sad. Does that make sense? But joy says, hey, no matter what's going on, I understand how good my God is. So in spite of my circumstances, I can still celebrate and still worship because God is good. Verse 14 says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Here at IUP, we've got a lot of students from other countries that come, international students, and I'm so glad we get to see a diversity of people coming to our community. And if if you've ever talked to somebody from another country, um, they will, you know, you might ask them a question like, hey, how do you like the United States? Oh, we, we like the United States. And they might start talking about the cultural differences, the food, or how people act, or things we do or don't do. And, and we'll talk about that culture. <clears throat> now, it's, that is exasperated if you go overseas. Uh, we would love for you to join us on a, uh, one of our mission trips, one of our World Reach trips. Uh, a couple years ago, I went on uh, one of our trips to, I- uh, to Ireland, to, to uh, India. I, w- I wish it was Ireland. It was India. Um, <clears throat> and we get there, and the culture, Indian culture, is very different than our culture. They don't have personal space at all, because there's so many people, they don't have room in India. So you're just all over. And we get to these orphanages, <clears throat> and these children would come running up to us, and they had never seen a beard like my beard before. And they wouldn't comment on it. They would just begin running their fingers through it <laughs> immediately. Did you send the, Did they have the picture? If you've got a picture upstairs, you can show it if you've got it. Anyway. Oh, there it is. I'm not kidding. They would run their fingers through my beard. And I love these kids, but I have no idea where their fingers have been. <laughs> And there was no way to keep all these kids off of you as they were running their hands and fingers over your face. And there would be some that were trying to put them in your mouth. It's like, no, 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 no. I love you with the love of Jesus, but even Jesus wouldn't let you do that, okay? Like, back off a little, man. <laughs> now, listen, I, I had to get acclimated because I would go, okay, this is part of their culture. Like, this is who they are. And so I've got to adjust to this culture. Um, and if they had come to our culture and they started doing that, we would go, no, 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 let me help you with something. If you, wanna, if you wanna fit into this culture, there's some things that are normal to you that you can't do anymore to fit into this culture. Does that make sense to anyone? And so what Jesus is saying here is, hey, I'm not of this world and they're not of this world. What he's really saying is, hey, their culture is not earth, their culture is heaven. What happens for so many of us is that we are used to the culture of earth and the culture of heaven is so different that we don't ever acclimate or assimilate to the culture of heaven. So what happens is as we press into Christ, as we begin to know him more intimately, um, our vision, our values, um, the things we think are normal begin to shift and, and what happens is our friend group begins to change. Not because we're better than non-believers. We are not better than non-believers. We just happen to be Christians. But what happens is our values begin to shift, and there's this divergence in our relationships with a lot of people because people start getting uncomfortable. They go, well, hey, why do you do that now? Why don't you do this anymore? We go, well, I, I don't know. And the reason is because our culture is shifting. Does that make sense to anyone? Well, what, what is acceptable, what is normal, what is reasonable begins to shift, and all of a sudden we go, I can't I can't believe that was normal at one point. I can't believe I used to think this. I can't believe that I would act that way. I can't believe that was a normal way to treat people or to act or to behave. 
And so what we have to see is that as we're matured in our faith, we see how we are not of the world any longer. Our values, affections, goals begin to veer in a different direction than those that are around us. So as believers, we have to assimilate to the culture of God because his culture, the culture of heaven, is dramatically different than the culture of earth. Verse 15 says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Did, did you notice Jesus doesn't say, um, he doesn't say, take them out of the world. He doesn't say, hey, keep them totally separate. Hey, pr- protect them from bad stuff in their lives. That's not what he says. He says, protect them from the evil one. But he never says, make sure their lives are perfect. Make sure they don't have any issues, right? Because he could have prayed that, but he didn't. His prayer for us wasn't that we would be taken out of the world, but his prayer rather was that we would impact the world. And what the implication is, is that we're going to go through some tough things. Even Jesus said this, in this world there is suffering, but fear not, I have overcome the world, is what he said. And so what we have to understand is Jesus didn't come to make our life easier. He came so that God could be glorified. And when we think Jesus came to make my life easier, we're going to be really disappointed. Because just because I'm a believer in Christ doesn't mean I don't have problems. Doesn't mean I don't have issues. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have some bad days. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be heartbroken. None of that is true. And so we need to adjust our expectations. We need to understand the world we live in is a hard world to live in. And it's worth living in this world to influence and impact it for the glory of God. I was reminded of a, a quote by Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks was an Episcopal pastor in the 1800s, and he said this, I do not pray for a lighter load, but for a stronger back. And too many of us are praying prayers like, God, fix this situation, fix this person, um, make my boss nicer, right? My staff was all saying amen to that. God, fix this cultural problem. And what God wants to do is help us endure this life better, to impact this world better. And yet we just want God to fix our circumstance. What God's trying to do is fix our hearts. Verse 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Now, a while back, um, I talked about this word sanctified quite a bit. Uh, and the word sanctify here, it's a Greek word, hagiazo. And hagiazo means to separate from the profane or for the common, uh, to dedicate to God. So we separate, and, and in this sense, what Jesus is saying is, hey, sanctify them, separate them from the common things um, so that they can be dedicated for your purpose. So he said, sanctify them through truth, the truth of the word of God. So the word of God, it separates us because it brings attention to our lives about who we are, what we love, what we value. And and when we contrast that against the kingdom of heaven, we go, hey, some things aren't right. The Holy Spirit needs to work in me and do some things to, to create wholeness and health in my life. And so he says, hey, and I love this, in verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, so I send them also. Just like Jesus was dispatched from heaven, to invade earth, to bring a message of God's glory. Um, We have been dispatched from heaven in the same way that Jesus was to bring hope and light and life to mankind. I was hoping more of you would be excited about that part, right? We have been dispatched by heaven to bring life and light to planet earth, just like Jesus was. 
He's called us to do that. That is our purpose. And he says, for their sake I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. So he's saying, hey, I'm setting myself apart so that they may be set apart, so that they can be sanctified, so that they can understand that there's a holy purpose for them. This is something I told you a few weeks ago when we talked about this. Jesus doesn't sanctify us just to make us holy. He makes us holy for a holy purpose. Uh, Ricky, if you don't mind. So I brought some um, visuals from home. Some of our dinnerware. You could hear the difference, couldn't you? This is a Tupperware plate made of plastic. It's uh, slightly warped from its use in the uh, microwave. Uh, and this plate holds such beauties as my uh, triple-decker leftover hamburger um, with cheese and chili and whatever other um, concoctions I can find in our refrigerator. I don't eat those anymore, by the way. I used to, and they were so good. And um, this is a plate fit for such a meal. Uh, this is the plate that if the girls want a snack, they're going to get this kind of plate. Uh, this is our common plate. This is our everyday kind of plate. This is, um, you know, sitting on the couch kind of plate. Does that make sense to anybody? This is the common one. This is the normal one. This one, this is the one that when I get it out of the dishwasher, it's one of those. It's, right? This is the one that if I broke it, my wife might leave me. <laughs> not, not really. Uh, this is the plate that is not common. This is one of the dishes we got when we got married. And uh, we've been married almost 20 years. And so since we've been married, we've used these plates three times. And um, <laughs> these are not common plates. Uh, we've used it more than three times. But these are the plates that we're going to use if, um, if we're going to have a special meal. If we're having Thanksgiving lunch at our house, we're going to bust these plates out. If we're having a special dinner, if we are doing something really not, we're going to get these plates out because they're, they're special. So we don't keep these plates with the other plates. They're set aside. They're put up because we don't want somebody to grab one of these when they're supposed to be grabbing one of these, right? Because these are normal. These are regular. These are common. These are special. These are unique. These have a, a special purpose. These have been set apart, set aside for special use. So again, um, if, if we had royalty coming to our house, we would not bust out the, uh, the plastic dinnerware with the solo cups, right? You know the red solo cups. You know the one I'm talking about. That's not what would happen. We would get out the good stuff. For special use. And this is what I want you to understand. When Jesus talks about us being set apart and, and set aside, what he's really talking about is the purpose of our lives, the use that he has for us, that there's something more important than the common uses of the world for us. Some of you see yourself as a common use plate. Oh, I'm just normal. I'm just average. I'm just ordinary. And what Jesus is saying in this prayer is, no, 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 set them apart, set them aside, help them see that they have a special value and a special purpose and a special use, that they are not ordinary, they are not average, they're not common, that they have a special value. See, something is set apart for a set-apart purpose. These plates are set aside because we don't want me drinking milk out of the bowls right? When I'm finished my cereal. That's not what these dishes are for. These dishes are special. Second Timothy chapter 2, the apostle Paul talks about this in verse 20. He says, now in a great house, 
There are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. This is what I want you to know today. In the kingdom of God, in the house of God, there are honorable and dishonorable vessels. And I am telling you today, you might not see yourself as an honorable vessel for a useful, valuable work, but you are an honorable vessel set aside for good works by the master. This is the way he views you and sees you. He's got something special in mind for you that only you can do. See, so many of us think we are common, we're ordinary, we're average, and you were made, you were made for Thanksgiving dinner. Some of you are like, yes, I received that. I can't wait for Thanksgiving, right? You were made for dinner with royalty. That's the vessel that you are. And you've got to recognize that. You've got to understand that. But in order to fulfill our purpose, we have to live lives that can bring glory to God. We have to live lives that are fully submitted, live lives that are fully surrendered to God so that he can be glorified in his maximum way through us. So as we close down, worship team, you guys can go ahead and come. I want to ask you three questions. Really what I want to do is give you three things I want you to ask yourself. How about that? The first question is this. Is my chief affection, my primary affection, my first love for Christ? I will tell you um, that there are days that I would say yes, absolutely, and then there are days in my life, again, I'm speaking as your pastor, that there would be days I go, oh, no, no, Maybe not. That doesn't mean I'm a Christian some days and I'm not others. But this is, this is keeping that vehicle on the road. There's some drift at times and I have to remind myself and go, no, no, no. I'm not the most important thing in my life. God is the most important thing in my life. I've got to continually fix my affections on Christ instead of on me or on what I want or what I desire. And so I want you to ask yourself, is my chief affection for Christ? Second thing I want you to ask yourself is how committed am I to seeing God's glory manifest through my surrendered life? Because if you're not committed to seeing, let me back up. If you're not committed to surrendering your life to Christ, you're not really committed to seeing God's glory manifest in your life. You're not really committed to seeing the, the ills of society fixed if you're not committed to surrendering your life to Christ. Because we can pray all we want, but if I'm not willing to surrender my life to Christ, to, to be the answer to the prayers that Jesus prayed, then it doesn't really matter. So my question for you that you should be asking yourself is how committed am I to seeing God's glory manifest through my surrendered life? And the third question I'd tell you to ask yourself is this, is what is God's set apart purpose for me? And am I living a life that reflects that? Well, what is, what is God's special purpose for me? What is, what is his Thanksgiving dinner plate for me? What are the things that God's calling me to do? What are, what are the things that are deep in my soul that I, I'm passionate about, that I feel strongly about, but I've been afraid to step out on? Ask yourself those things. And this is not a moment, and I want to encourage you in this, this is not a message I think will, um, will disappear when you walk out the door unless you're okay with that. But if you really ask yourself these questions and you invite the Holy Spirit to, to search your heart, 
Um, this is something that you can be asking yourself these questions for the next few days, the next few weeks, the next few months. These are questions that I can ask myself as the pastor of the church. Hey, where's my affection? Is my affection, is my chief affection for Jesus Christ? Because that's a question I ask myself regularly. Where is my heart? What do I really love? And these are questions we can ask ourselves as time goes on, as time goes by. And that's my hope, is that you will continually reflect on these kind of questions and say, God, help me realign my affection for you. God, help me understand your purpose for my life. God, help your glory be manifest through me to see changes in the world around me. Because I've told you this before, man, our world doesn't need a good church. I love our church, I'm grateful for our church, but what our, our world needs is children of God who will manifest the glory of God in a dark and depressing and dreary world. So my hope today is that you'll catch a vision for that and that you'll walk into your work tomorrow, walk into school tomorrow, walk into class tomorrow, and you will manifest the glory of God through your life. So why don't you bow your heads, let's pray together. Lord, we love you. I thank you for each person that's here, each person that's watching or listening online. I pray your blessing on us, God. Awaken us, open up our eyes to how much you love us, to the purposes and plans you have for us, God. And I pray that you would help us fix our affection on you, our primary, our chief affection on you. God, I pray that you would help us live each day with a surrendered life so that you can be fully glorified through us. And God, I pray that you would help us discover and, and be awakened to uh, your special, your set-apart purpose for our lives. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, Lord, let today be the day that they would experience your love, that they would experience your mercy. Lord, that they would surrender their lives to you. They'd be one with you. They'd become a child of God, Lord. I pray that you take away any fear and anxiety. Let your spirit just move on us in this place. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say to me, Mel, you know what? I'm not walking with Christ. I'm not in relationship with Jesus, but I know I need to be. And today, I, I want to surrender my life to him. I want to become a child of God. I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you right where you are. And if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? And I'll pray with you. If you say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want, to, I want him to be the primary affection. I want him to be my, the, my top love. If that's you, would you be bold enough to say, yeah, that's me. I see you on my left. Thanks, sir. You can put your hand down. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me? Yeah, over here on my right. Yep, I see you on my left, up in the balcony. Thank you. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel? I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to surrender my life to him. All right. With nobody looking around, I want us to say this prayer together. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for paying the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, I am yours and you are mine. Help me love you in an unparalleled way. Let my affection for you be primary in my life. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. <clears throat> Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, now I know some of you, maybe you've, you've prayed before and you're in a walk with Christ 
And, and this might've been a prayer of rededication for you. That's great, we celebrate that. But if, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, um, we would love for you to take just a moment to fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card, it says need prayer. On the other side, it says salvation. If you would fill out the side of the card that says salvation, it'll take you about one minute. You can take it to the information center when we finish here and give it to them. And they're gonna give you a, a free Bible. And it's just a way for us to encourage you and to tell you how proud we are of you and the, the decision you've made, and the steps you're taking in your faith. Uh, we also want to help you get connected to, to a small group called Starting Point. It meets on Wednesday nights. Pastor Dick Motzing, our associate pastor, leads that. We'd love for you to get connected with that as well. We'll get you some resources. If you're watching online, no matter uh, where you may be, uh, we want to help you take that next step. So if you would like to, to pray that prayer, you can pray a prayer of salvation and forgiveness. And God will forgive you. And if you want to respond, we'll help you take the next step in your faith journey. And you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555888. And when you do that, we're going to respond back and help you take the next step. Here's what's going to happen right now. The worship team's going to listen one more song. While they're doing that, our prayer team's going to come up and they'll be on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all today, no matter what it may be, uh, step out as we begin to sing this last song, find one of them. They're going to pray with you. And then in just a moment, when we're done singing, I'm going to come back up and I'll close this out and dismiss us. So why don't you stay in your feet all over the room? Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. <laughs>